to the Clemson Dubcast Thursday, October 13th. This is actually, I believe, the 14th year, 14 year anniversary of the fairly important day when Tommy Bowden was out and some receivers coach named Dabo was in in 2008. It's been an okay ride since then, I would say. So after I finish up publishing this podcast, I'm going to get to work publishing this week's video review nugget segment at TigerIllustrated.com. Going to dig deeper into Wes Goodwin and how what we saw last week against Boston College, much closer to the DNA of what we've seen over the last decade, and I would think closer to the DNA of what uh, Wes Goodwin would prefer uh, long-term moving forward. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Football season is grilling season, and Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio is South Carolina's premier source for the big three. Weber, Traeger, and Big Green Egg Grills. Blackstone Griddles, too. I'm Jack Oliver. Grill all your tailgate favorites to perfection with a premium gas, charcoal, or pellet grill, then top it all off with something sizzling from your Blackstone griddle. For grills, griddles, patio furniture, hot tubs, and saunas, shop in store or online at Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio, Forest Drive in Columbia, and jackoliverpools.com. I'm Josh Burrell, receiver and running back for the Florida State Seminoles. When I'm back home in the Midlands, I enjoy grilling and relaxing with my family, and we get everything we need from Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio. Thanks, Josh. I'm Jack Oliver, and we proudly offer the Big Green Egg, Weber, and Traeger Grills, Blackstone Griddles, and beautiful patio furniture, too. We're located at 3303 Forest Drive in Columbia and online at jackoliverpools.com, and we deliver. Very good people. Go see them today. Okay, to our conversation with Mickey Plowler. Man, this is all over the place, uh, from the Beastie Boys <laughs> to Brent Venables to, oh, by the way, what we think is going to happen Saturday in Tallahassee. We go in a lot of different directions here, but a great conversation. Really enjoy Mickey's occasional visits to the podcast. Good stuff as always. Here we go. Okay, joined by Mickey Plyler, who is, uh, man, you sound kind of shook by the some of the text line <laughs> messages you were getting today. I just got called an effing <laughs> idiot on my text line because I think the Beastie Boys played a joke on the on their fans for, for the lyrics that they wrote. So, Larry, um, 
years ago when I talked about, about you about on the radio, <laughs> um, when you were in Charleston, it got, I got played back today by Beastie Boy fans. <laughs> and not just Beastie Boy, because I made fun this morning of, of Alan Jackson. Because there's nobody who can seriously write itty-bitty town, itty-bitty car. <laughs> it's all right to be itty-bitty. Uh, or, and so my answer to that was, the guy I wrote back said, Alan Jackson is a musical genius. I went, yeah, way down yonder on the Chattahoochee, it gets hotter than hoochie-coochie. Yes, that's genius. The man's genius. But how can you rhyme coochie and, and hoochie? Yes, he did a good job there. Yeah, so. Bob Dylan's jealous of that. Oh, man, that'll go down. In and even then, like I said, that like I like George Strait. I really do. But he didn't play an instrument, and he doesn't write his own song. So, like, how talented is he? He sings good. Yeah, but, and, and a lot of the new country acts, they're not writing their songs. They're No. That's that's basically, they buy, correct me if I'm wrong, I could be speaking out of turn here, but they sort of acquire or purchase or whatever yeah. lyrics that are geared and engineered, <laughs> you yes. know, red solo cups and things like well, that. Going to my mom's house on Sunday for dinner with my <laughs> dip cam, my menu sit on the back gate of our tailgate. Yes. Uh, whatever uh, happened to Seven Spanish Angels? You know, whatever happened to Folsom Prison Blues? <laughs> like some songwriting in country music. I don't know. Well, oh, and then I, it's kind of inauthentic because these are, these dudes are like, they have $500 million in the bank. Like, they're, no, they're not sitting on the back of a tailgate of an old 86 Chevy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with you meeting you on a Saturday night looking at the stars. Come on, man. Come on. All right, the the Beastie Boys. All right, what 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 caused this meltdown? Um, I, I want to hear this because I'm a Beastie Boys fan. I, I might actually, you might end up being the first person I hang up on in this podcast's uh, illustrious four year history. This might be the shortest podcast <laughs> ever. Um, so on on a very serious note. One thing I question, and I've done this twice now on, on my show, is that whenever anybody plays the Beastie Boys, I go, is that real <laughs> or is that a parody? Because you can't make up those lyrics. Like, I, I think that they're sitting there saying, there's, in my mind, the Beastie Boys said, let's make fun of people who are going to buy this. Let's come up with the dumbest lyrics ever and the simplest lyrics ever, and people are still going to buy it. Parody's not the right word. There's a there's another word for it, maybe, but but like, there's no way someone can seriously sit down and write a song and put some of those lyrics down and go, I think they're gonna buy it. I really do. Like, they're really gonna buy this and put that on a like produce that in a record. Um, I think it's got some spinal tap to it. So, okay, well, how is this different from any other rap music? <laughs> well, well, that, that's what I said. Like, all right, as far as rap is concerned, okay. Um, the idea that Dr. Dre would always spell out D-R-E or the thing we don't know how to spell Snoop, spell Snoop S-N-O-O-P. Like, those are lyrics. Like, I know how to spell spell Snoop. I can do that. Uh, but the other thing is, like, in, in, in rap and hip-hop, now it's all F-T. So, like, country music, somebody else writes it. But now it's all featuring because you get about five or six of the same artists. And you, you they feature you on my album, and I'll feature you on your, you know? Um, and... They introduce each other. Did you ever notice, like, when the Beatles, they never said, all right, here's my boy John, here's my boy Ringo, kick it, kick it, Paul, let's do it. Like, you didn't have to tell who was on the album, but you have to tell in hip-hop or rap, like, who's going to be singing this next one, you know? 
know. <laughs> well, Maybe okay, now. so so your contention about the Beastie Boys is that they made a parody of the content, not of of uh, or sort of of their listeners, and they didn't really they weren't serious when they produced License to Ill. Okay, I I don't know which album's which. I've heard of License to Ill as an album. I don't know what's what. Yeah, that's and, Brass and Monkey, Fight for Your Right to Party. Okay. Um, here's, here's, here's my theory. I could be wrong. I'm giving them way too much credit if this is not the case. That the idea that on Fight for Your Right to Party, that they didn't sit down and go, all right, man, <laughs> let's think of something really dumb and say it, and people will buy it. Like, like okay, I got one for you. Like Blues Traveler. In one of their songs, uh, John Popper, the guy, whoever the lead singer yeah. is, says, one of his lyrics is, it doesn't matter what I say as long as I say it with inflection. Like, yeah. I think Beastie Boys kind of had that in that. Uh, I don't know the lyrics of it, but but if when you read, sit down and read the lyrics, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> they didn't seriously write this, and people think they were being serious. I think they they pulled the wool over your eyes and thinking, let's write this, and I think people are going to buy it, and the joke will be on them. So now, you're go ahead. No, no so. So through that today, honest to goodness, Larry, I'm not. I'm. I'm, I'm going to be. I'm going to low end you on this one. I got sixty texts from BC sixty, fans. <laughs> sixty, with five of them calling me an effing oh, idiot. Oh man! Okay, and and again, maybe if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I get it, but it goes to show you, like, and, but oh, by the way, of the sixty, twenty said, "I'm glad you figured it out." I've been saying that for years. <laughs> so we, hey man, we can't agree. On anything anymore in this country, can we? <laughs> so, I, th- I think you're okay. And I say this as a pretty big Beastie Boys fan. Uh, the be- actually <clears throat> the 1986 License to Ill tour was the second concert I ever went to. I was in sixth grade. It was at the Township Auditorium in Columbia. First concert, Huey Lewis and the News in 1984, I guess it was. Uh so, I go. I've been listening to the Beastie Boys for a long time, but I think you're onto something because they have shared recently, or I guess the surviving members, because they're not all alive anymore, have shared that the they were initially like a punk band in 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 New York and Brooklyn, I guess. Um, and License to Ill was their sort of version of selling out, and they didn't like it. Uh, they didn't like it that it was not genuinely who they were, even though they made a crap ton of money off of it, obviously, because um, they weren't those frat boy party types. And so their next album, Paul's Boutique, was their genuine creative selves, and it was a completely different. Okay. Um, can I can I give you an assignment? Yes. And you don't have to do this anytime soon, but I think you'd be, I think you would enjoy this. There's a documentary on the Beastie Boys okay. called The Beastie Boys Story, I believe. Uh, I think it's on Netflix. Um, but really, really good. Uh, I think you'd be, and again, I, I don't think you're totally off about the content of the License to Ill stuff. Uh, but again, I think, now, now let me say this. I, I, I don't, I've I probably heard 10 Beastie Boys songs in my life. But. I think when I sat down and said, you, you wake up for school, man, you don't want to go. Your mom says, please, but you still say no. And you miss two classes and no homework. 
but your teacher said preach this class like you're some kind of jerk. Like I think that that's like, but you remember remember Andy Kaufman? Yeah. Like people didn't know if he was being real or not with the Jay Lawler wrestling stuff. Remember that? And like some of his comedy was brilliant, but if you didn't get it, you're talking man, this guy. This guy's like an idiot. Like uh, Spinal Tap's another well, one. Well, but like, but but what? How much of performance is not? I mean, or True. is to, like Ozzy Osbourne? You think he really is a Satan worshiping, no. eat, eating the uh, the heads off of bats? You know, no. Speaking of concerts, 1986 in, in uh, Carolina Coliseum, second row of Ozzy Osbourne right there, seeing <laughs> he, that. Really? You you were there? Oh, I was there. He did not eat the, bite the head off a bat that night, I can tell you that. But, yeah, you're right about it. And, and um, again, I, I plead ignorance to uh, all the other Beastie Boys stuff. They're probably talented. But I would like to think that somewhere along some of that they said man let's just see if this works and don't it work they were like oh really <laughs> well let me show you this one then if you think that was bad let me show you this hey hey but look i'm a huge beatles fan and love love me do you know i love you i'll always be true so please love me do <laughs> you know pretty simple there too i guess right yes <laughs> excuse me yeah. all right well that's your assignment i don't okay. know if you're actually gonna netflix beastie boys i will watch it I think it's Netflix. Report, report back. I'll find it. I'll find it. Um, there's also you're, you're a music guy. I do. I yield to you on music. Now you and I disagree on like Deadhead stuff, <laughs> but I do see why people do like the dead, like the Grateful Dead and Fish. You know, I mean, I, I get that the jam band stuff. I get that. I can understand. I don't personally like it, but I get that. I understand that. I think debating like what's good and what's not. And music is one of the stupidest exercises yeah. 100%. that humans have because you might as well debate your favorite flavor of ice cream, you know? Yeah. Well, let me say this too. Like, I, I can even recognize talent. Like, I, I'm not a fish fan, but when I listen to fish, I get it, man. That's talent. I I, I yield to that, man. That's unbelievable talent. But the, the real, the story of even why we even talk about now was the idea that in this world today that I can fire off a text calling somebody an effing idiot because I might disagree on the Beastie Boys is where we are in our world, man. Like, it's okay to disagree with the Beastie Boys. That's okay. I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm an idiot and I don't think you're an idiot for calling me an idiot, but for some reason, man, we just got to disagree and not respectfully disagree anymore, I guess. The decency, the decency is just like oh, almost I, evaporated. It, as far as, uh, as far as, you know, with your fingers, when people are right. actually in front of each other, a lot different. Yeah. I, I listen to, you know, you have turned me on the podcast. You and I have talked about podcasts off the, off the air and off the podcast a few times. I'm now a podcast guy. Um, yours is what one of three or four that I listen to. Uh, but I was listening to one the other day, um, and it was about social media and the anonymity of it and the um, how, how, you know, what, what you think is, and even the bots, like with Twitter, like what you think you're getting online is not really real. That's not real world, real life stuff. And we do that a little bit with our text line because we don't know who's texting in most of the time on our show. Whereas a phone call, the venom of a text message is so much more powerful than someone on a phone call because someone might recognize your voice or we might recognize your, you know, your phone number on there rather than 864-292, whatever the number is, right? But... 
I, Larry, like we've got, we share mutual friends and, and we agree on a lot of stuff. We disagree on a lot of stuff, but I like respectfully disagreeing with people and learning and listening to what they say. Nobody, it seemed like nobody else out of me and you do that anymore. It's like we've got a, we, we, we have this insatiable desire to be right. And I just, I don't like that, man. I like discussing and I like listening and learning and, and changing some people's minds and having my mind changed. Yeah. But the idea that we can't respectfully or that I don't like you because we disagree on one thing in a vacuum, we might agree on everything. That's the great part about like Clemson, like Democrats and Republicans and, and pro-life and pro-choice and, and pro-gun and gun control people. Like they get in a game, a game together in, a, in sports that we, we pull for the same team and like we forget about that for a while. To remind it of the next morning. So it, it's really, you know, like every now and then when I'm having a discussion on my message board and you know, I offer sort of a dissenting view on something, whether it's hey, maybe DJ is what they need at quarterback a month ago, right? Um, and it's you know, Larry, that's that's crazy, da, 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 da. and then I, you know pop back not 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 pop back but just respond again and it's like why are you attacking me i'm like no no no. i'm just this is just a conversation i'm not attacking it's just a back and forth hopefully respectable but it it, the the conversations are so lacking of that nowadays especially like online that it's almost like a jolt to hear hey matt i'm just i'm just having a conversation with you that's it i'm not telling you to go jump in a lake you know we don't listen anymore. We we're thinking in our minds of what to counter with next. Like we don't listen for the content of what the other person's saying. If we are listening, we're listening to, to, to fight back with something else so in our mind. We're constantly thinking the inner inner monologue or inner inner conversation. We have ourselves. Oh yeah, well remind me. I'm going to say this about that point. And I tell you something else has happened is that I think politics has taken place of sports. Like, it used to be Yankees versus Red Sox or Celtics versus Lakers or Steelers versus Cowboys. And that was the water cooler talk, and that was what people talked about in the after church or people talked about in the, you know, after work or at a bar, after, you know, whatever. But I don't think we – now I think politics, they've done a great job of selling us that we're each other's enemy now rather than – we've got so many things that we're – you know? Like, believe it or not – uh, uh, Dutch Coleman told me this one time, man. I would love to argue Clemson, South Carolina right now. This is in the middle of COVID or whatever, a middle of politics or whatever. And he goes, I want to get back to where I just dislike South Carolina fans. Can I just do that? Can I just not like South Carolina fans because they pull for a team that has a different color jersey than mine? Right? It, it really is like Auburn, Alabama, the political thing. Yeah. Because it's nonstop and you have to wear your allegiance on your sleeve or on the back of your car. Uh, what, what? They have divided us, Larry. They've divided <laughs> us, and we bought it. You well, know, like we we bought in, in the industry. Politics is the industry, and they they tried to tell us how different we are and how hateful we are towards each other, and we bought it. We fell for it. One of the really crazy, not crazy, but bizarre happenings that it occurs every now and then is, you know, within a minute and a half of meeting somebody, like for the first time, it's it's. God, can you believe those liberals or conservatives? You know, it's like, man, I don't want to talk about that. 
yeah. especially yeah. to somebody I just met, you know, like it's upon so introduction now almost with some people. They're, they're sizing you up. Is what yeah, probably there, so. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. To see where you, they stand because they got to decide if they like you in that first couple of minutes and their litmus test for like you or not. is not if you're a good person, if you're a good father, if you're a good husband, if you're, if you're good at your job, what do you do? It's, do you feel the same way I feel about this? And yeah. if you don't, I don't like you. Like what? And so they can go tell their friends, uh, you know, Larry slash Mickey is a uh, a, a socialist, you know, far yeah. left yeah. Democrat or uh, a Nazi, you know, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Trumper far right, you know. So yeah, yeah, crazy. But but the way, but we fell for it, man. Like we bought it, and now since we bought it, we have to listen to it, and we have to read it, and then we have to argue it, we have to defend it. Like, believe it or not, like, there's, I had, I had lunch. This has been years ago. And it was with a, a young listener. He was probably 12 years old and his dad. And his dad said, man, my, my son loves your show. Can you come out to lunch with us? We went to Pixie Bills. It was great. And the little, boy, little kid was an Auburn fan. And it was right there in the middle of the Cam Newton and uh, the defensive tackle, who's, I can't remember his name now. Fairly? Yes. Yes. That, that, that they ended up buying, the junior college kid, whatever. And... The kid tells me, the, like, within the first five minutes, we sit down and talk about things. And I know he's an Auburn fan, but we called in a few times. But he was ripping Alabama about cheating. And, and, and I didn't do it because he was 12, right? I didn't do it like saying, wait a minute, man, you're an Auburn fan. But the point there is, is that we buy into what they tell us we have to buy and our talking points. I think there's probably, like, several Republicans who, who don't own guns, who don't believe in guns. And there's several, like, Democrats that are, are actually – life but you can't do it man because the lines are drawn so remember remember when like uh when when lou holtz took over at south carolina and tommy west was at clemson and so south carolina fans were saying uh pounding ground man you got to be able to run the football <laughs> and and or no whatever it was, yeah. it was well, uh, but but when brad scott that's what it was brad scott and tommy west yeah clemson fans were like man pounding ground you got to run and play defense <laughs> And South Carolina fans are like wide open, man. Uh, Florida State North, and then when when they made the, the changes, Tommy Bowden to, and Lou Holtz, South Carolina fans are like, no, you got to run the ball first. And Clemson fans are like, hurry up, no huddle, man. We got to go wide open. This is Florida State North, but we're forced to do that because it's orange versus garnet, and it's red versus blue, and it's Dodger. You know, Kevin Euclid played with the Yankees, and I couldn't pull for him. I pulled against him for so long. He changed his jerseys, and now I got to pull for Kevin Euclid, that Red Sox guy. You know, we're forced. We're, we're, they pigeonhole us into these. They did our identity, identity now. That's who we are. But we got to pull for that guy. And and this has been talked about, but like the whole Beamer <laughs> Dabo thing. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the most recent one with Beamer. I mean, if that had that been Dabo doing it, I mean, oh my gosh, you know, oh. clown. Or if this been had this preceded the had had Dabo done it preceding the Beamer era, it would have been, yeah. Uh, you know, what a total clown. And then even on the Clemson side, it's, oh, my God, look at this Beamer guy. What a fraud without sort yeah. of realizing, hey, this is what your coach. Now, I will say, <laughs> I think it's totally reasonable for a Clemson fan to say, um, yeah, he's trying to be like Dabo, but he's never going to be anywhere near him as a coach. I mean, that's that seems like not going out on a limb. No, but I'll tell you this. Um <laughs> Two things. One is, and I've told Tony Morello this is the big spur we have him on. Like, 
Shane Beamer needs to send Dabo thank you notes every day. <laughs> if, because if not for Dabo, Shane Beamer would be the head coach of South Carolina. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. Because that's the formula. And the other thing, though, at least Beamer is smart enough to know this. Because a high school coach told me that, that, <laughs> that Will Muschamp told him, this is after Clemson was winning and winning big under, under Dabo. That, and, and maybe even won a national championship. Maybe i got to remember the time frame when this happening. But Will Muschamp told him is that we've got to differentiate and that everything Dabo does, I want to do the opposite. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, wait a minute, man. <laughs> I, I, know you want, I know you want to differentiate, but like, there's some things the guy does that's pretty good. And so at least you give Beamer the credit for knowing he's a rival, but he's done really, really well. So maybe we might do some things that they do. This is not based on information. It is based partly on what I've seen Beamer and Dabo say about each other and obviously the way Beamer has conducted himself in building, trying to build a culture down there. I think that a few years ago, whether it was when Beamer was at Oklahoma or at Georgia, I think he called up Dabo and said, hey, man, can I sit down with you sometime and pick your brain on how to build a, a program. I really admire you, and I want to run my own show one day. I would bet Beamer has a notebook probably full of things Dabo, sort of the insights Dabo gave, because it just, it's too similar. <laughs> uh, the look yeah. and the feel and the sound of it is too similar. And then on top of that, you have both of those guys pro- professing like extreme respect for the other, which is yeah. different. Well, think about this, Larry. I th- that's a great point, and it wouldn't shock me at all. But think about it like this, that Dabo has changed the hiring process. It's like athletic directors are looking for the next Dabo. And and 15 years, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, you would have never in a million years thought that, right? But now now they're looking for the next I mean, Minnesota. Isn't that what, what Road the Boat is? Mm-hmm. Right? Isn't what he is? So they're looking to hire the next Dabo. Or not all of them, but that is a hiring strategy now. Like, let's go find that type of coach now. He's changed college football in many ways, right? Yeah, Oklahoma uh, went and tried to, well, they picked off the Dabo tree um, by bringing back Venables. I, I did not hear you last week, but got a few texts from people like, man, Mickey's just going off on Venables. <laughs> uh, curious. Curious. Uh, well, the, I'm not saying that's what you said because obviously right. stuff can get right. uh, lost in in translation. But I'm just curious for what for what your sort of take was last week, and then of course after another disaster uh, with Oklahoma last Saturday. Let's let's dig into that some and just how it seems like a really bad situation right now. Well, now that we made it past. Um Beastie Boys on. This is what you and I talked about <laughs> off the air about coming on and talking a little bit about, yeah. I think. And, um, you know, much like you do this when you write, is that people hear what they want to hear. And Brent Venables deserves the respect of Clemson fans the way they do. With that said, he's almost untouchable with Clemson fans. And, and let me say, I, I, I'll, I'll, I need to be said on this podcast, I really like Brent. I like his family. I like his kids. I, li- I like who he is. I've said this on the same time that I said this on the show, and I said this many times, I think he's the best coordinator I've ever been around. I think he's the best position coach I've ever been around, and one of the best recruiters, despite having those, because a lot of times those recruiters, 
and his coordinators, whatever, aren't great recruiters. Uh, I think he's brilliant. I think he's the best coordinator that I've ever been around and ever, ever really noticed and seen. And, and on top of that, I like him as a person. Like, I really like who he is, and his story is awesome. But you can't ignore what's going on in Oklahoma right now. And, 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 and in his defense, too, he does not have a great team, and he had a backup quarterback last week. My, the thoughts that I, I talked on a couple weeks ago was not the fact that they lost this past weekend 49 nothing, Because a second-team quarterback – in that rivalry game, they're, they're not going to be second team quarterbacks. We saw it all across college football last week, man. And we'll see it more this weekend. Like you're going to be in trouble with the second team quarterback NFL. You're not going to win the Super Bowl, not going to win playoffs. You're not going to do this. I get that. That's not about last week. What it's more about is this idea that Oklahoma fans, when Lincoln Riley left them and you go hire Brent Venables is this idea of, well, thank God that, that Lincoln Riley yeah. left. Him. He's a jerk. He's taking these players. He only took three players, by the way, to Oklahoma. And it's this narrative that uh, Oklahoma lost. They lost 17 players in the portal, I think, but they gained 16 players in the portal. All right. But all that said is that, well, Lincoln Riley, that guy's terrible, and our program was going down fast. So at least we got Brent here to change our culture, and we got a good guy now, and we're going to go to bigger and better things without him because we got Brent now. I don't know, man. Brent took over 44-8 and eight the last four years. He took over a team that was wrong. Wrong. We, we, we predicted wrong, but they were ranked preseason number nine. Southern Cal – has been, I think they're 23 and 21 the last four years and not very good and not preseason top 10. And now Lincoln Riley's got them fifth or sixth or seventh in the country, seventh or eighth in the country, and Oklahoma's reeling. And on top of that, like Oklahoma, again, quarterback aside, because Dylan Gabriel's good but not great, but defensively, the last three games, they get over 48 points a game on average, uh, 587 yards a game, and they're giving up 30.3 first downs a game. They don't look very well coached. They're not very deep. They're not very talented. But Oklahoma getting uh, – TCU could have scored, scored 70. TCU called one pass play in the last 18 minutes of the game. They could have had 700 yards. They still had 660-something or 70-something. TCU could have scored 70. You could have named their score. Kansas State scored 41 with Adrian Martinez. The week after, Kansas State scored 10 against Tulane and got beat by Tulane. And they went into Norman and had over 500 yards and 41 points. I don't know, man. Lincoln Riley looks pretty good to me right now. That was my point. And, and, but people take that as, I think Brent's a bad coach and Brent's a bad guy and all that. Brent's going to get it turned around, I hope. I'm pulling for him. Hope he, hope he does great things there. But the idea that, boy, thank goodness Lincoln Riley's gone so we can finally get Brent back in here, I don't know, man. I think that's – let me ask you, if you're an AD right now, who are you hiring as your head coach if you got a choice between those two? I mean – yeah, it, it's obvious. And I, I think even in the moment when Venables got that job, <clears throat> it was in the back of my mind. I'm, I'm, of course, not remotely claiming that I saw this coming with them struggling like this. But one thought that I did have was, man, he, he better not struggle early because that's when – things could really turn sour because that whole sequence of events with Riley leaving in the middle of the night and then them latching on to them going out and finding somebody who's loyal, somebody who's been with the program, it felt like a, a, a dating relationship, you know, where yeah. your girlfriend dumps you out of nowhere and then you, you 
not that Venables is the, the rebound relationship or anything, but I think there's some elements there. They were in some denial, I guess is what I'm saying. Like that stage of the grief of of a proud, traditional, you know, tradition-rich program. Your coach, even though they had some struggles last year, your coach basically says, yeah, I'm out. I'm, out. I'm sorry, man. That's traumatic. That has to be. And so I think there was some denial at work there with how much they were just celebrating Venables and and how much, like you said, they were demonizing Lincoln Riley. Maybe at the time somebody needed to say, hey, by the way, Lincoln Riley, he might be treacherous, but still pretty good coach. <laughs> Venables still hasn't coached a football game as a head coach, you know. Um, okay. One, one thing you said, <clears throat> struggled last year. Yeah, because they went to Alamo Bowl and they didn't make the college football playoff. They went ten and two, and they finished tenth right. in the country. Right, he's finished third. He was there for five years. They went twelve and two, twelve and two, twelve and two, nine and two, and twelve and two. They finished third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and tenth. Yeah, that's trending down, but that's all five years. Sure, of, of top ten. I, I think you're exactly right. They got their feelings hurt. You know, Oklahoma's a top five kind of program, and so people don't leave Oklahoma. And when he left, and why he left, I don't I mean there's there's rumors there, but. When he left, it was they were shocked and they got their feelings hurt. But this idea that he that this program was going so downhill so fast, and that man Brent's going to come in here and we're going to have a better culture, it might. And I hope it does, man. Again, I I, I, want to I love Brent. I think he's awesome. But I don't know, man. It, it I think you hit the nail on the head. It was a it was a the hire made sense because of the the circumstances, but. The, the story here is that Lincoln Riley left you. Not that you hired Brent Venables, that someone left your job, and not to go to the NFL either, because forever I thought it might be Cowboys, right? So yep. let me ask you this. What, what does that mean, offense, defense? Because there's a little talk about that. In an offensive world, now you hire a defensive guy. See, you know, when Georgia did it and, 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 and Alabama did it, but look up and down right now. I think I counted the other day. I think – this is before – this is two weeks ago, so – Home to I think it's something like 19 of the head coaches of the top 25 were offensive background guys, with six being defensive background guys. See, I don't think that is at, at play here simply because Venables always had offense, sort of what he wanted to do in mind offensively if he ever became a head coach. Going and getting Jeff Lebby. Yeah, that uh, that that doesn't suggest to me that Venables is just so focused on defense that he's not doesn't have a good grasp of what I think it was maybe similar to Dabo when he when he took over. Obviously, he was an offensive guy, but but Dabo, he had a pretty clear picture in mind of what he wanted on defense. And I think that really is is what produced the higher of Brent Venables in 2012, the logic that Dabo had at the time was, hey, yeah, this guy had a tough year in 2011 to get some great quarterbacks, but man, look at all the different offenses this guy has 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 had to prepare for in the Big 12. I mean, that is some pretty savvy thinking right there on the part of Dabo, and I think, I think, emphasis on that, that Venables has the same sort of um interest i guess or yeah um 
you know, not. I don't think he's the type of guy. Yeah, I'm just going to hire an offensive guy and then let him do what he wants. I, I really think he had a an identity in mind before he even got that job. But I I, I do want to disagree with you on on something. Um, I think their biggest problem right now is not that it's just one side of the ball. Like that TCU game, I I told you. I said, that's the worst defensive performance I've ever seen. Yeah. And then last week, that was the worst offensive performance I've ever seen. I really believe that. And I don't think uh, – this is where I, so I sort of disagree with you. I don't think it's just a matter of, yeah, well, it's the backup quarterback and you're not going to – you know, you're going to have a, a drop-off a drop when you go to that backup, particularly in the portal era. Dude, that quarterback does not look even like a – all respect to him. I know he's from the area, but wow. He, I mean, and their game plan really spoke volumes. They never tried to throw the football. That, that's the big, that's the most alarming thing to me is that you don't even have a competent backup quarterback. Several things. Uh, I'm going to try to remember all these. Uh, Sorry, like I rambled. But no, 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 no. Um, I like that we can respectfully disagree. And, and you, by the way, remember talking about changing our minds? You changed my mind about the offense-defense thing. It's more about the person than the offense-defense. So I, I, I listened to you, and you changed my mind. That's good. Um, <laughs> on the Beastie Boys? All right, awesome. No, 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 no. Oh, no okay. Beastie Boys took care of that. But the idea of Brent knowing what he wants to do, I get that, and I agree with you there. I am going to disagree a little bit on the quarterback thing in that um, I, I was listening to Colin Coward this week, and he talked about winning percentages in the NFL with backup quarterbacks. Now, what uh, the one the one thing I do have to say with, with, with Levy, why didn't they play the, the tight end at quarterback more in that wildcat? Because that seemed to be moving it, and then they took yeah. him out, and they didn't move it after that. But now, the, the to me, the big picture is – Obviously, they're in a hole in Oklahoma right now. The big picture to me is what happens now. I, you can get a pass for a quarterback getting hurt. You get a pass for a little bit of pass for the transfer portal. I mean, Caleb Williams played them and, and Mario Williams leaving. and, and those, Yeah, I get that. With that said, defensively, like you said, they're, they're, they're terrible. And I can even say, hey, man, well, Lincoln Riley didn't leave any talent. But but all those all those are, are opinions. Factually speaking, where do they go? What happens? Yeah, right? fa- yeah. Go defensively ahead. they're not good. I get it. The rest of this year, the schedule's still difficult. I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on if it's four and eight or if it's eight and four. It's not going to be eight and four, I don't think. But how do you rebound from that from the perception? And then how soon do you have to do it? So if you go, if, if Brent went nine and three this year. He'd have, you know, you could say, man, the culture that you let's give him some time. You go five and seven in Oklahoma, and the people point out that Bob Stoops went five, seven and five and won the national championship next year. Okay, you think Brent's going to the national championship next year? Because I don't. So, how much time does he have there, and what has to happen moving forward? I'm not even talking about to get back to to where they're in national, they're in the top ten again, like like they had there. But Larry, what has to happen for him to keep his job for years three and four? He's going to have to clean some house, I would think, if this continues. And, and I think the better comparison, that yeah, that is a bad comparison. Um, I hate it when people always bring up the absolute, you know, best scenario ever and say, oh, well, this happened, so this that could happen again. You know, like, 
Yeah. The, yeah. the, the, the old uh, Mike Krzyzewski, you know, they were patient with Mike Krzyzewski, so we need to be patient with uh, yeah. a million other coaches, you know. <laughs> right. Right. Um, Beamer. Right, right. Yeah, same thing. So I think the better comparison is Dave Aranda at Baylor. Yes. Um, certainly not predicting that Oklahoma turns it around, but uh, one year in, they look horrible, right? Yes. And he cleaned house on the offensive side. Is that right? Um, yes. I think – wait a minute now. Let me – yes, I think that's correct, yes. And so they're – either way, either way he made big changes and, and completely turned it around because they're completely different. Now, Dave Aranda, also defensive-minded coach. Um, I just don't – I think Lebby is really good. I kind of think it might be on the defensive side of the ball because, like you said, the cupboard is not stocked there. They don't have a lot of talent. But some of the busts that we've been seeing, that's not talent. That is coaching. That's between the ears. And so that gets us to the next question. He's got a lot of guys he brought from Clemson on that side of the ball. Boy, I got some things for you on this now, okay? Let's go. I, I don't know. I don't know how good those guys are. They might be great. I don't know that. Um, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot for you a little bit uh, coming out of that. But can he – I mean, those guys left a really good situation. I mean, loyalty is a big part of it. I mean, can he make those changes now or does he have to make those changes now? Here's, here's one thing I'll say all right, about coaches. You don't have to win the national championship your, your, your second or third year. You don't have to, you know, everybody talks about five-year contracts. No one gets five years anymore, but you don't, and you don't have to be who you're eventually going to be. But most important thing a coach has to do in his first 24 to 36 games, his first two to three years, you better show them who you are, right? Like, like Beamer doesn't have to beat Georgia or Clemson in years two and three. Mm-hmm. But he's got to show you who he is. So mm-hmm. I think the big thing for Brent moving forward is give us a glimpse. We want in, in five – give us a glimpse of what we're going to see in five years to seven years. If it's talent, it's talent. If it's coaching, it's coaching. But you need to show us your brand. Give us a glimpse at least once or twice, or, or, you know, two or three games. And maybe South Carolina did that this past weekend. Maybe, maybe Oklahoma will do it later in the year. He had a little rallying cry this week. Maybe they rally behind him. I know they love him there. But will you agree with that, that – Brent has to show Oklahoma in the next uh, 15 games, 10, 15 games, who he is and what he's going to bring to the table when it does get good, if he can stay on the line to get it good. Does that make sense? Yeah, and to date, you know, before this calamity, you talked, you said brand. To date, the branding has been everything that he got from Clemson. And I'm not saying that as a criticism. Yeah. But every every slogan you know, I don't know, it's interesting. I, I wonder I don't think Dabo and Brent are on bad terms. But I do wonder if Dabo's sitting there going, like, really? You have to take every single thing? I mean, can't you think of something on your own? Like I wonder about that, you know? Okay. You you, you led into what I wanted to talk about. Because as it pertains to Clemson and, and most of your, your uh, readers and listeners here, <laughs> I, I had this thought the other day, and I, I know Dabo is loyal and, and, and likes guys also, and I know he's, he's pulling for Brent. 
But is it such a bad thing? The one thing we heard, is it such a bad thing for his, for his former guys to struggle? Because one thing we've heard in the past about Dabo is he's a cheerleader, he's a CEO, and, man, uh, he just relies on those coordinators. <laughs> and, and, and that, man, when, when, when Chad Morris leaves, he's going to take that offense with him. No, no disrespect to Miguel Chase about taking the defense from South Carolina, not leaving South Carolina. But, man, when he leaves, he's take it with him. And what did they do after that? Well, they won two national championships and broke every offensive record. When Brent Venables leaves, man, the defense is going to hell in a handbasket. Well, Brent's given up 48 a game in the last three games. Clemson's defense looks good the last two weeks. And, and Tony has not looked great. Jeff has not looked great so far. Now, Billy Napier, I don't really count that in Dabo's tree. But if the idea out there was that Dabo is a cheerleader CEO and – his coordinators are the reason for his success. And yet they go and fail and Dabo is still in the top four in the country, five in the country right now. Does that make Dabo the secret sauce and make him look better? And, or, and does that make Clemson look better? I mean, forever Oklahoma's a better job than Clemson, but right now Clemson's a better job. than certainly better job than SMU or Arkansas, uh, certainly a better job than, than South Florida and Virginia. But with that said, it's like maybe either Clemson's better than we think. Or what Dabo's done there, or maybe Dabo might be the secret sauce, and his culture that he's built is the secret sauce. I mean, Mickey, those of us who have been around here and paid close attention to this know the answer to that. I think you're probably talking about the average casual observer, like nationally, who is on Twitter and who every time Dabo says, you know, something that might not be uh, what everybody wants to hear, it's like, oh my God, there, there he goes again. He's lost control of this or that. I mean, I think you and I and plenty of others around here have believed all along this guy is way smarter and more calculating and more visionary um, and more organized than people give him credit for. I think with Venables, the question is not, or the issue maybe, is not necessarily, oh, Clemson, if this keeps up and they nosedive, it's going to prove that Clemson did more for him than he didn't. I don't believe, I think, the issue there is the difference between being a great defensive coordinator and are you, do a lot of those things not translate because as a coordinator you're able to be in a dark room for 18 hours a day. You know, you're able to go crazy on the sideline. You're able to you're able to be in charge of your group and instead yeah. of being a, a CEO. I think that's the maybe the question there right now with Venables, I think with maybe with Jeff Scott and, and Elliot too, maybe even um, you could, you could maybe say that uh, perhaps like, um, you know, it was, is there, I don't know. I don't want to say, did they benefit more from Clemson than Clemson benefited from them? Because that's really not fair. Um, but it does kind of, it could, be. It could, could be. be. I don't, I don't think that's unfair. Right. I, 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 I mean, say, I say uh, unfair. Brent, Brent Venables, now remember this, Brent Venables was a guy, before he got to Clemson, was a guy that was on the downside of maybe an Oklahoma career in which the play, play calling and all that and demotions were happening in Oklahoma and Oklahoma fans were ripping him and he leaves Clemson to take a top 10 job. So who did more? And now he won two national championships. But, but Clemson and Dabo Sweeney helped Brent Venables. Uh, Chad Morris was a high school coach that coached one year at Tulsa, came to Clemson, and Dabo Sweeney helped turn him into an SEC job eventually. 
yeah. Jeff Scott was a was a, a GA before Dabo, maybe or in that time frame, and turned into a head coach. You know, let me ask you this: Did did you think those guys? How do you think those guys have been as head coaches? And maybe too early for Tony and Brent. Uh, yes, way too early for Tony and Brent. Okay. More, more so for Tony, though. <laughs> I mean, Brent took over, uh, you know, didn't take over what Tony took over. Now, Tony took over uh, Armstrong. He lost a quarterback coach and coordinator. And I still question what they're going to do offensively and how that's going to work because, I mean, he's got an uphill battle now. So perception-wise, going from what they went offensively last year, him being an offensive guy, and their offense isn't very good this year. Like, I think he's got a big uphill battle with Virginia. I was – go ahead. Keep no, no, I was asking how are those guys doing compared to what you, you thought they might do after being around them for so many years at Clemson. I was a little worried about Tony um, in that the guy he replaced was really good. Yeah. Mendenhall. Yeah. And, and the coordinator, I guess, who is now at Syracuse. Syracuse. Every, every time I saw Virginia's offense under Mendenhall, I'm like, wow, this looks really smart and – yeah. Creative. I mean, they came into Death Valley in 19, right? Was it? Yeah. And that was a game, dude. Like, it was. It for was. a while. So you're replacing that. And, you know, I don't know that. I think for all these guys, or most of these guys who are trying to, you know, trying to cut their teeth and survive as first year head coaches. The, the, the guy in this team right now that is not a good comparison for them is Josh Heupel in Tennessee. Yeah. Because that dude walks right in to that situation last year and they are instantly formidable, right? Yeah, right. And it's because of the identity, the offense. This is what we're going to do. Tempo, spreading you out 53 yards. Like... The notion going in when Tony Elliott turned down that job supposedly was, wow, man, does he really want to go there? And it's a five-year rebuild. And, well, au contraire, here comes Heupel. And by sheer force of of a scheme, mostly, also Hendon Hooker, you know, that was a good pickup from, I guess that was under uh, Pruitt. Right before Heupel got there, but, but right? Hendon Hooker, Hendon Hooker was awful. That's right. Virginia. That's right. Yeah. It, it's, it is the identity. It is they have given him a chance to be successful. Uh, Heupel is is to me as good a coach, well, one of the top ten coaches in the country now for doing it and doing it in two years. And yes, that, you're exactly right. This makes every other first, second, third year coach this year and, and the future first and second, third year coaches look look like there's pressure on you. Tennessee was in dire straits, but they they fired. An absolute dumbass of a coach, a former <laughs> dumb jock, a, 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 a guy that was just awful, and they fired. They got rid of, of Philip Fulmer interfering, mm-hmm. and they actually hired a good athletic director, who hired a good football coach, and I don't know about the president. Some they had a lot of turnovers as far as the president goes. I don't know about that, but it's like, okay, now they have some competency there. They, Tennessee swam for twenty years and. In, in muddy, mucky waters with bad people. And now they go hire a couple of good people in, who, who have a brand and have an identity, and they're in the top ten country and might might win, might beat Alabama Saturday. I don't know. I, I, any game, maybe. I, I, th- I just, a couple of days ago, I watched uh, Alabama A&M, and then I watched Tennessee LSU, and yeah. um, 
Alabama's got some issues, man. Yeah. And it's not just a quarterback. I, I don't and an AC joint sprain. I jeez, I, I don't know. I mean, I know Nick Saban's downplaying it and saying, "Oh, he's had a lot of these. Uh, he's had a lot of AC joint sprains." Really? Hey, Larry, just think about what you just said. Alabama has a lot of issues. A yeah. team that has all the resources, all the history, all the five stars. Alabama has issues. And I think that's what we're seeing more and more and more. You know, Tom Brady talked about this the other day in a press conference. He said, asked about uh, after week four, the three and one, two and two, and one and three teams. And while we're seeing such parity, he goes, I think we're seeing bad football. We're not practicing. You know, NFL, they don't practice during the week. They don't hit during the week. Like they practice, but it's all in shorts and helmets or whatever. And he says, I think we're seeing bad football. Well, I, I think in college football, you know, they limited the amount of practice that you, you can have and scrimmages you can have and how much contact you can have. And the transfer portal and the, the, the NLI stuff and the coaches that, that all the turnover they had in the coaching staff at Alabama. And if you watch Alabama, even la- oh, you know, on the last podcast, we talked about it, the LSU game last year, the Arkansas game last year, the Auburn game last year, the Texas A&M lost last year and the national championship game last year. That's Alabama looking like that with Nick Saban. That's how hard it is. And that's who you don't know week to week. You don't know. You don't know half to half now. You watched Florida State the first half last week and the second half last week? I mean, you don't know from what you get from play to play and week to week. And that's why the long play is so important to me. You know, Alabama's going to be there in the end, but but not without issues. And it's not without Bryce Young. No, no, not without Bryce Young. Milrow, I, I will say, to your point about backup quarterbacks not being good, you're absolutely right on Milrow because he, wow, what a basket case. Um, what an athlete, but what about what an athlete, but but as a decision maker, yeah. Oh man, I mean he 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 had two turnover, I guess three turnovers. It really should have been five, maybe six, um, on inter- on more interceptions. But and, and here's the thing: who, he's such a, he's Jalen Hurts at one point in time. Who as he gets experience and as he as he le- continues to learn, I think he can't. I don't know for sure. I think there's a possibility for him to get much, much, much better. And, and Hurts, you know, had them in national championship contention these years before. So, I, but you're right. I mean, that's that's a second team guy right now. And but I mean, even even with Bryce Young, like you said, Alabama still has other issues. And Alabama, if Bryce Young plays Saturday in Knoxville, I'm not sure they even win with a healthy Bryce Young because of the issues they have. It, Who knows? It, if you if yours doesn't get hurt, yep. I think uh, Texas wins easily. Yep. Totally um, agree with. Uh, one, one, another thing we're talking about narratives and perceptions and how they get blown up like every week. We we change our minds on stuff. The Alabama and the portal in recent years, as they picked up Jamison Williams, as they picked up um, Toto, as they picked up um, uh, Gibbs. As they picked up, uh, let's see, there's been one other. Burton. Yeah, Burton. The conclusions have been, and I guess Rick's too. What happened to him? Is he around? Um, I don't, uh, yeah, he's around. Okay. Uh, and the center, Dickinson, the center was a Florida State guy. Yeah. But with, with, the, know, skill, with the skill players, it's been, oh, man, yeah. Nick Saban is just, it's just unfair because he's adding even, he's just going and cherry picking talent to put on top of all this amazing talent he already has, I think it, it's proving right now 
but he had a different play, and it was my receivers are not very good. Yeah, I need to go get Jamison Williams. My running backs. Did I say Jamison Williams? Yeah. Yeah, my running backs aren't aren't as great as they've been. I need to go get Gibbs. I tell you what, I feel sorry for Gibbs. It sounds strange, but he comes around when they have the most offensive questions, the least support from the receivers. Can you imagine that kid in the 2020 offense or the 2018 offense? That kid's like Reggie Bush, man. That, that's how you know Paul Shula is good because he was touting that in high school. That would be the, the guy for sure. Wow. Um, hey, hey, you know, because I know Clemson fans have gotten on – and I think that's an interesting debate between either Jeff's bad evaluations or Tyler Grisham's uh, development. And I don't know who's right in that. I think injuries were a big part of the Ladson and Ngata and, and some of the classes and some of those guys in there. But think about it like this. Like, we we, we always look at our guys and think that, that this is the only thing happening. Alabama's wide receivers the last two years, the guys that they have recruited the last two years have been awful. Yeah. At wide receiver, despite the fact that they have Heisman winning quarterbacks and all this offensive line play, that their wide receivers have just been awful. And uh, look, Georgia right now, Georgia won the national championship and they got better at wide receiver in recent years. AD Mitchell goes down. Georgia does not have a deep threat right now. McConkie looks like a human being again mm-hmm. uh, rather than a unicorn guy, man. And I know the tight ends are amazing, but the fact of the matter is that, like, Georgia has not thrown for a touchdown pass in three consecutive games. Like Army is the only other team in the country has done that last couple of years. Like, and that's at Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so we get. So I heard this podcast yesterday, and it was talking about how we think our kids are all great, and and you think that you think a kid's great because you're only only watching your kid. But the, the real reason is is because you don't see the other greatness of the other kids because you're not focusing on them. But if you start focusing. On, in our jobs at Clemson, but also just paying attention to what else is going around all over the place. Let me ask you this. Is CJ Stroud lit it up so far this year or has he not? And is that because of the injuries at wide receiver there and at running back there? I mean, they've got two running back injuries and a couple of wide receiver injuries. And all of a sudden now CJ Stroud doesn't look like he did last year in the, in the Rose bowl. And that's at Ohio state. The best way they got, they got five or six NFL guys, but one or two guys get hurt. And, man, it just looks different like it does at Alabama, like it does at Georgia, like it does at Clemson. If you're in the eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Another loyal supporter 
of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthal. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. I think the parody that that all the naysayers have been clamoring for and saying that's the reason nobody watches college football anymore because it's so boring and predictable. Don't agree with any of that, by the way. Um, that might be coming, Mickey, because if you, let's say hypothetically, Tennessee truly breaks out and gets to the playoff this year. Again, I'm not predicting that, but they're showing signs. Right. Then that's that's pretty good variety, I think. Because last year you had Michigan in there. You had Georgia winning its first title in forever. Um, if you have a – I mean, you had – let's see. You had Clemson in 18, uh, <clears throat> LSU in 19, Bama in 20, Georgia in 21. That's four different national – champions in four successive years if you have a different one this year say ohio state i mean i'm not saying it's the utmost parody that maybe people want but that's pretty good variety at the top yeah here's the the um devil's advocate for that the seasons are long and yes the what tennessee's been able to outside of the tillman injury so far this season at wide receiver um, and now the suspension maybe with the with their with their uh, safety the four year start safety you got a bunch of trouble the other day, but but Tennessee's been healthy in the same starting lineup. Hey, how about Clemson like on offense this year a little better? Why? Well, they've got healthy guys there. But my point to all that is, as just playing devil's advocate, that yes, but as far as staying on top, and Tennessee might be able to parlay this into bigger and better. And I think they can, and I'm pretty sure think they will. But still. The advantage that, that the elite like Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, maybe Clemson have is that it's a long season and injuries do pop up. And and we can talk about warts through some of those injuries, but you're still winning. And because of the depth, the elite teams can play their C-minus game and still win. Whereas if Oklahoma State plays a C-minus game this weekend against Tulsa, I mean against TCU, or if UCLA in a couple weeks, or if Southern Cal plays a C game against Utah, then they're going to lose. Uh, they can't afford to play their C-minus C games, whereas over a 12-game regular season and a conference championship, you're going to play C-minus, and most of the time that's going to get you beat except for the elite can do that and get away with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, and I agree. I just wonder if this is one of those rare years where you don't have the truly elite of the elite turning on the afterburners. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know if it's that, because last year, I mean, hell, Alabama was – lucky to beat Auburn last year and then Georgia looked so bad in the SEC championship game uh, maybe maybe the better way to put it is that maybe this year when the final two teams play for the national title 
it won't be as abundantly clear that oh god yeah these are the best two teams without a doubt it might it might be a little more murky can we can we agree that at times this year Georgia and Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson even Michigan now like can we agree that at times the, what we thought was elite have struggled quarter or half or for a game this year yeah well, let's think about it okay Georgia Mitchell's been out uh, Stetson Bennett's shoulders hurt right now I mean and, and, and Kirby said that before Ohio State um, and Jigba uh, has, has been hurt and Henderson's been hurt Alabama Bryce Young is hurt. I mean, you look up and down at those, those are the three everybody thought was elite. Well, they haven't been 100% yet. And those are difference makers. And, and while the backups are good, they're not as good as those elite guys. And so I think the key to this season is who gets healthy and who's healthy mm-hmm. at the right time. Because a healthy Georgia team beats an unhealthy Alabama team. But a healthy Alabama team, even last year, look at the SEC championship game. Once Mechie and, and Williamson got out in the national championship game, Georgia was a better team. But it didn't look better than Atlanta to me. So between Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Tennessee, Michigan, whatever, Southern Cal maybe, maybe TCU, Oklahoma State, whoever's healthy at the right time I think has a chance to win a national championship. Yeah, maybe maybe my what I'm talking about is probably longer term than just this year. Yeah. I'm kind of excited about, just as a college football fan, I'm excited about um, – uh, Southern Cal, excited about Tennessee, excited about UCLA. Wow, um, yeah. excited about hell, uh, Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. You know, like it just seems. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we we could be the the face of uh, you know of, at the top. Could it could be different? We our conversations Sunday morning could be different for all we know. You know. Well, you know, get get six games this week with with both teams ranked, but but. To your point about the um, to your point about about those teams that you're excited about, the common denominator among all those, like Ole Miss this year doesn't throw it like they've been throwing it, but they're running it a lot better than they have been. They, they have issues in certain places, but the common denominator is head coaches. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, we talked about hype. Well, what Lane Kiffin's been able to do. You talked about UCLA. I mean, Chip Kelly finally looks like he's got enough talent for him to shine a little bit. Obviously, we talked about Lincoln Riley. I mean, we're talking about some extremely um, gifted granders, marketers, uh, identity guys, um, and guys who I guess have made good hires. But but the key is the head coach, man. The key is that head football coach. Speaking of the influence uh, and importance of a head coach, Florida State, they man, they look just so much better culturally, schematically, everything. Uh, they, they Mike Norvell has done a really good job. Do you? I kind of don't know what to think about this game, just given all the uh, night game, full stadium, Clemson's offense not terribly dynamic right now. Um, do you have a feeling? I do. Paul and I talked about this on my show this morning. Um, I'm going to give you the bad news first. Florida State's good enough to beat Clemson. Yeah. Florida State is – they've got enough balance. Now, again, the the um, uh, running back entry might be big, but but they've got enough balance. And Florida State does a couple of really good things besides balance. I think you got to be balanced to beat Clemson. And so far, Clemson's done a pretty good job of making teams one-dimensional, especially the last two weeks. And you realize that, like, NC State, totally one-dimensional. And the next mm-hmm. week, they ran it well against Florida State. Boston College is not going to well, well against anybody, but – 
Um, bottom line is that, that Florida State can be balanced, and that would hurt Clemson tremendously. They also have a playmaker at quarterback that can extend plays and extend drives on third down with his feet. And that, that's, that's a scary deal. they got a 6'7 wide receiver in Wilson that can scare you. They've got good special teams. Benson had the kickoff return. They've been good there. So, and they've got a, a great pass rushing defensive end. They've got great linebackers. Uh, I think Forsyth is good enough to beat Clemson. And in a, in a great, great atmosphere Saturday night, we think. With that said, there are a lot like so many teams out this way. Jordan Travis is college football in 2022. It's not, Larry, it's not just game-to-game inconsistency. It's not just half-to-half or quarter-to-quarter. It's drive-to-drive. You watch him one drive, he looks like he's ready to be Charlie Ward. You watch him the next drive, and he looks like Treon Harris. Uh, He is so wildly inconsistent. On top of that, I asked Paul this – well, I asked asked my producer this morning, name the position units that Florida State's better than Clemson right now. Huh. I mean, you could make an argument for receiver. You could. It's you could close. make it. You could make an argument if Treshawn Ward were healthy, which he's not. Um, right. You could make an argument for running back. Um. Maybe uh, safety. Corner. Maybe. Um. The I think, and I'm, I don't want to change the the thought there, but I think it sort of applies. Um, the the reason I don't think I'm, I would pick Florida State is because they still are bad on some of the detail things, which are really important, including kicking field goals. <laughs> That's a pretty big deal um, when when you're going for two, and it changes your game management, right? When you when you when you know you're you're probably not going to make a field goal, it might have produced that game-ending interception at NC State. But yeah. if Clemson can't run the ball effectively between the tackles then i see this being a dogfight. um i'm also worried i'm a little concerned about florida state's pass rush because clemson's pass protection has been great this year but this is a bit of a different beast um and blake miller did not look good at all in uh, against boston college which probably means he's going to be great on saturday night that's just the way things usually are but i don't know i'm I'm excited that I'm excited about this game, about this matchup <laughs> for the first well, time in a long time. Because you were down there in 18 and you saw the, you know, the, <laughs> I mean, that, that to me was, it was a noon game. I was there. Larry, there weren't 45,000 people there. Yeah. And it was a snooze fest and it was, you know, 42 nothing or whatever it was, 49 nothing, whatever it was. And uh, a matter, I, I talked about it on the show this morning when it was 42 to nothing third quarter, whatever it might have been there at one time, a Florida State fan beside me was a girl. She said, y'all are pretty good. Are y'all ranked? I was like, yeah. It was Holy crap. I was like, man, that, that's kind of says it for Florida State right now. But but anyway, um, yeah, you remember those times and at night and, and all those things. I just think in the end, though, like, yes, Florida State presents all those challenges. With that said, if you got to go into a game, you're going to pick Clemson there because – who, who's been more consistent? Who's got better lines of scrimmage? Who who has more proven success? Who has better, you know, playmakers and in, in, in putting themselves in positions that way? Who has better experience in these type of games? And I think you got to go. You know, now we might we might wake up or go to bed Saturday night and thinking, you know what, they have arrived. Again, this this is their game to do that. I, I thought that with NC State, like I thought that that we would learn more about NC State than we did Clemson. As it turned out, we learned a lot about Clemson in that game too. 
Um, and then through it all, I think we learned in that Wake Forest Clemson game and what Wake Forest has done since that Wake Forest is the second best team in this league right now. And their Wake Forest's offensive line, you know, they ran the ball for 171 at, at, in Tallahassee. Um, the, the, their offensive line is better than we gave them credit for before. So we learned a lot about these other teams. I think we learned more probably about Florida State Saturday night than we did Clemson. And I, you agree it's a mistake. It's sort of misguided for a Clemson fan to be like, all right, if we've really arrived, that means going in there and stomping a mud hole in them. No. I, I think it's winning the game. Yes, just win the game. Hey, I'll even get one farther for you. Because I mentioned this, and this doesn't get a whole lot of play on my show yet, and I hope it doesn't have to. But depending on what happens in the Big 12 with Oklahoma State and TCU maybe, and depending on what happens in the, in the, in the Pac-12, maybe Southern Cal, UCLA makes a run and goes undefeated. I, I, I made a statement show that in my mind right now, because of the way the division has worked out with Florida State with two losses in the league right now, if, if Clemson can afford to lose either this game or the Notre Dame game on the road, still go win the rest of the games, win the ACC, and I think they're in great shape to make a college football playoff. It's a long way to go, but I don't think Clemson has to go undefeated. And these two road games in two great stadiums, both at night, uh, two great historical programs, I don't think you have to run the table at this point. But you still got that. That's your only. You got to win one of the two, and you got to win the ACC championship and go undefeated from here on out. Yeah, I mean it's been a good year for the ACC so far. I mean the only team that has crapped the bed based on expectations has been Miami, but North Carolina cancels that out. Um, right. And how well they've done, of course, Wake and NC State. You know, I don't. Are they really top fifteen? I mean, I mean, will they be top fifteen by the end of the year? Don't know. But it's Syracuse. Good grief. Um, yeah. It it given all the hand wringing and and all the hate and criticism leveled at the ACC by by me a lot. <laughs> um, it's been they've been pretty impressive so far. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I, NC State was was about what I thought they were going to be. Um, they don't have playmakers at wide receiver. I don't know why they don't get the ball to Carter more. I don't know why they don't commit to the run a little bit more. But now NC State is facing a game or two or three or four, maybe without Leary. And, you know, they're road underdogs this week in Syracuse, uh, I, which, which plays back to me in that, and, 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 and Wake Forest would be this way without Hartman too. But that offensive line with those wide receivers, with that scheme they have, and they're not great on defense by any stretch, but I think Wake Forest is the second best team in this league. And I think Wake Forest is a legitimate top 10 to top 12 kind of team. Did you just say in this league and it wasn't about the SEC? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. First time ever. Um, um, I said program, program. The, the NC um, State backup quarterback, too, um, Jack, uh, what's his last Chambers, name? Chambers, Chambers. Yeah, Jack Chambers. Uh, yeah. I mean, another huge liability. Like, Dabo must have mentioned 50 times in the offseason, man, I love our quarterback room. We got the best quarterback room we've ever had. And you just sort of gloss over it and like, okay, yeah, whatever. But man, doesn't that really, isn't that in just full clarity right now, the importance of having competent backup quarterbacks? Okay. I, I did this on my show this morning. <laughs> so, so NC state had a, they, they were, or Florida state was beating NC state 17, three at halftime. Leary comes out, and the score on the first drive, so I could have to cut it 17-10. In the next drive, Leary goes out with the injury. 
for the next the NC State had the ball four more drives except the end of the game. They had five. The end of the game, they run the clock out. That was successful. But in the four drives before the, the run the clock out drive, they scored three field goals and won the game because they they, they won nineteen seventeen. They scored three out of the four drives. Larry, in the three out of four drives, NC State passing. Chambers went zero for one. Zero for one. Yeah. Tom, Thomas, the wide receiver. Threw one ball for minus five yards. They were one for two at minus five yards. They ran 26 plays after Leary got hurt, 24 runs and two passes for minus five yards, and they won the game. Florida State knew they were going to run the football and couldn't stop it. They stopped it in the red zone. They couldn't stop it, and, and NC State, and, and on top of that, Florida State going to the last drive now in the second half. Florida State had one first down. Until the last drive, when it, when it threw the pick, the biggest play of the, of the season maybe for Florida State so far. But how about that, man? Twenty-four out of twenty-five out of twenty-six plays for runs, and Florida State didn't stop the run. And, and not just won the game while throwing one pass in the second half, but overcame a seventeen to three deficit. Yes, yes. Um, in a place where, I mean, that, that's a game changing. I mean, program changing game to me. You win that one after. I mean, Wake Forest is better than you. I get it. But now you're five and one, and now you're ranked. And all you got to do is kick a field goal and you win the game or stop the run and you win the game or get a couple of first downs on the drive. Because there's field position in the second half, too. But the field position, was, they had one first down going to the last drive in the second half. The, the running thing, I sat Sunday and watched the replays of Florida State's last two games and Wake, like you mentioned, Wake had real success between the tackles. Um, yeah. uh, really just sort of pounding away there. NC State... Same thing. I think if we're sitting here Sunday morning and Clemson has rushed for 135 yards, it's time to then say, okay, this is not what everybody thought it was going to be, the running game that, that the coaches thought was going to be a powerhouse coming into the yeah. season. Yeah. Is that fair? Or, or that's very fair. See, the, one, the other thing that Florida State, I don't know if I mentioned it or not, the other thing that Florida State has done great this year is that they've hit for big plays on offense and they've limited big yep. plays on defense. They're among the best in the country in both those stats. So if you're Florida State, you know Clemson wants to run it, right? Now you can't load the box like you can, but is that the case? I mean, can because I made a statement on, on my show this morning that the team that runs the football better is going to win Saturday night. But can Florida State afford, knowing that, that, that Clemson's run defense is better than theirs, and, and Florida State averages 200 yards a game on the ground, but Clemson's second in the country against the run. So can Florida State load up defensively to stop the run, do what they have not been doing all year at the risk of giving up a big play? I think you absolutely load up not just to stop the run, but to bring pressure where DJ has made almost all of his mistakes this year have come when he's been under pressure. And then, heck yeah, you say y'all's receivers aren't all that. We think our athletes can – can win most of those matchups? Absolutely. Hey, if I'm Clemson, I'm concerned in the first half last week, I thought Boston College's defensive backs physically took the game yeah. to Clemson's wide receivers. Yeah. Uh, Antonio That'd Williams has some uh, developing to do physically. Yes, 100%. Uh, it, it wasn't as bad as the Georgia game last year where the, where the corners just mugged them and beat up on them. But it was it was a little bit like that in that – they dared Clemson to on islands. They they went with one high look an awful lot. Hayfield does that anyway, but I'm surprised because we hadn't seen a whole lot of teams go that one high look against Clemson. But they did, and they dared them, and and physically they took the fight to them. So maybe Florida State saw a little something there. We might see them, you know, line up try to come back. I think they have to do that because the key is to is getting pressure on. 
Well, here's on, the thing, too. Like, think about this for a second. And I thought Blackledge Saturday night made a great point. You know, Clemson won a 51-45 game, and then they won a 31-3 game or, or a 30-20 game that good teams can beat you in more than one way. Um, and I think that's what this team has that last year's team did, did not. Mm-hmm. If Clemson didn't run the football last year, that was it. But, and we talked about the wide receivers. Yeah, well, Brenny still was absent Saturday night in the game plan. I don't know why, but he wasn't a big part of it. Saturday night, Davis Allen and Jake Brenningstool mm. have to get back to what they look like against Wake Forest and NC State. Mm-hmm. If they do that, if Shipley Lawrence and Moffa run like you think they can, if he's just given a little bit of time like he has, all that's terrible news for balance for Clemson's offense. But it comes out of me that you got to stop the run. Clemson's got to stop the run. Forest State's got to stop the run. Is it weird to you that Shipley has not gotten more, more run, more more snaps, more touches? No. First of all, I think Moffa's good, and I think Moffa does some things better than Shipley does. And secondly, we've seen him get beat up a little bit, and so far it hadn't cost their this offense. And so I think that as the season goes on, remember Herbstreit always talks about Clemson's quarterbacks running, but I think as the season goes on, when you pare down your playmakers to when it gets championship drive time or where you have to have it, I mean, when they had to have the Wake Forest game, when it got close down there, Shipley got the football. Yeah. And in and, and key times at NC State, and it's not, I don't think it's the volume, I think it's more of a win. You know, goal line, you know, short yardage. Two minute. Or have, yeah. Yeah, two minute. Yeah. You, you know, the pass it to them. So I, I, don't, I think it's almost of a, let's keep some tread on the tires. I don't think this is a, I mean, he's been, he's, he's been hurt several times, right? Concussions and, and knees. And so I think you want to, so far, keeping the tread on tires, I think, has been the reason for that. I could be wrong. He's such a violent <laughs> runner. Yes. That right. You're like, he's cutting back, you know, into traffic. And it's like, man, this guy's going to get, this guy's going to get hurt. He, yeah, I, 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 that makes sense to me, um, for sure. Hey, man, I've had you way too long. Uh, sorry for, sorry for taking this long, but it's been, man, it's been awesome. Well, i tell you what, um, I, I was going to watch a little Florida State and uh, and Louisville this afternoon, but instead I got to go on Netflix and find some beats. Stuff, so. <laughs> Remember, Larry, you got to fight for your right to party, bud. You just got to fight for that. I'm going to find that exact documentary that I was talking about, and I'll, I'll, I'll send you the <laughs> I'll send you the link. It's good. It's good stuff. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, I, man, I am a fan of the podcast, and I love love doing it. Love the format and love the conversation. So, um, thank you. I always enjoy doing it, buddy. You, you do a great job with it. Man, that's that's really flattering. I appreciate you listening and being on. All right, buddy. Okay, I uh, I couldn't resist changing up the bumper music here at the end. Little Beastie Boys from the aforementioned Paul's. Boutique, which followed the aforementioned License to Ill, that album that Mickey so ruthlessly and unfairly assassinated. I've got to get out the door because i got to meet Mickey in a Wachovia parking lot, but I want to thank our very loyal sponsors for their support, helping make this happen. Also, most of all, thanks to all of you for hitting that play button. Really appreciate it. Everybody have a great weekend. Cheers.
they can take out Adam Horowitz. Hurricane, you got clout. Other DJs, put your head out. I'm fucking on the string. I'm paid to sing. I'm riding. I do my thing. I'm in a lava lamp. It's in my brain. I will tell them why my life is in the picking. But I rock well. The baby do go. And then I'm up the jingle. Got more rhymes than Jamaican got mango. I got the pit link. Half the end of my stove bar. Yo, rope. Diamond. No, mine's Clarence. From downtown Manhattan. From village, my style's wild. 